Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 20. Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troubled times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. May God's blessings accompany the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads together. Father, thank you again for this precious word of God. Thank you, O oh God, that you have not left us ignorant, not left us without the ability to know, to understand what your mind is, what your will is, and what your purpose is for your people. You have given us this holy word. And we ask today for help and understanding. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. Give us revelation, O oh God. Give us minds that are receptive, ears that can hear, eyes that can see, O oh God. Help the one who speaks, for you know all of his limitations. Help each one who hears and receives by faith today, God. Let the word take root. Let it bear fruit. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people agree. Amen. Amen. As we get closer to the end, and 
I don't know. I think this might be the last time I will speak in Daniel for a few weeks. But as we've gone through this journey of the church, of God's people in captivity, as we saw the perspective of Jeremiah, we saw the perspective of Ezekiel, and now we come to these last of the exile prophets, Daniel, who more than any other gives us a picture of the processes and the forces that are at work in our world. The great spiritual titanic struggle between light and darkness, between good and evil, between God's will and God's purpose, and the hardened hearts of human beings, and the evil work of evil spirits. And as we come to this central prophecy, maybe the central prophecy of all the scriptures, as it deals directly with both the first and second advents of the Messiah, of the Lord Jesus Christ, as this verse sets out a timetable and a and a not just a pattern of events, but the purpose for which all these things have taken place. How many times over the years, how many times just in the past few years have we looked around at what's happening in the world and said, what's going on? And why are these things happening? I don't know about you. <laughs> I, almost, I ask that question almost on a daily basis when I see what's happening in this world today. It's, it seems to be out of control. It seems that God's people are almost always on the, on the wrong side of, 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 of the, the sufferings and the tribulations and the issues and the problems that are going on. And if we did not have the Word of God to comfort us and help us to understand, we would be completely lost. We would wonder why, what, what even is the point, as one asked, of serving God when it seems like it gains us nothing but trial and tribulation and things to go through. But because we have the prophetic word, because we have the Holy Spirit-inspired word of God, we can understand the world we live in. We can comprehend its point and its purpose. And more importantly than that, we can have faith that no matter what the present circumstances may seem to indicate, that God's people and God himself will triumph in the end. And that there is great value and great purpose in serving God. Because I'm telling you now, brothers and sisters, if you want to come out on the right side of history, if you want to be standing at the end when everything else and everyone else has fallen, you better put all of your hope and all of your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Because without Him, we're not going to make it. Without Him, it doesn't matter how, how much wealth we gain, how much power we accumulate, how much influence we have, how much fame, how much notoriety we have. It doesn't matter that we be president or prime minister. It doesn't matter that we be king or emperor. Without Jesus Christ, we're all going to end up in the dirt and in the dust. But those who put their trust in Him, 
Though it seemed difficult and though it seemed, though the circumstances seemed to be against us, we know we'll come out all right. Everything's going to be okay. Now, as I go into this prophecy, I want to try to set some parameters because as we've seen earlier with these prophetic patterns, we've talked about the patterns that God's people have gone through throughout all of their journeys through the scriptures and beyond. These patterns where God deals with his people first. Judgment begins at the house of God. The church is in captivity today because God is in the process of purifying his people. God is making us ready for the coming of the Messiah. And we cannot be ready for his coming until all our allegiance and all of our hope and all, everything we've invested in this world, we are divorced from. That we might be 100% all committed to the kingdom of God. And it may take some difficulties. I don't know that I would voluntarily give up some of the pleasures and privileges of this world. If it, if it did not uh, produce the difficulties, and if it did not produce the trials that come with pursuing those earthly things. And so God in mercy, you say, Pastor, I, 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 just, I don't understand why God lets us go through such hard times. It's a mercy from God. It's his way of, of, of teaching us the most important lesson we can learn in this life, to trust God above all others and to depend on his grace daily. And without that, we would be like some of these we've read about. We would have, we would have become uh, caught up in the idolatries, caught up in the sins of this world and, and, and lost. When judgment begins at the house of God, it's God's way of preserving his people from that which would corrupt them and that which would destroy them and that which would lead them to the same fate as those who have turned their backs on God. So while no chastening for the moment is pleasant, it is working out a far greater glory, a more eternal weight of glory, Paul called it. I, he said, I, I, I reckon that these sufferings in the present body cannot be compared to the glory that awaits us if we can endure with faith through every trial and temptation that this life can throw at us. And so with that as an understanding, we want to see what Daniel saw and what it means for us today. And the key of all of these is found in verse 24, to seal up the vision and the prophecy. All of the visions and all of the prophetic words of Scripture, every stream, every river of prophecy in Scripture, whether it's Enoch, in the beginning, talking about the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints, whether it's a Moses, whether it's a Isaiah, whoever it is, 
They all come, and every stream from every direction joins together in this one place. Everything centers in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He is the seal and sum of the prophetic Word of God. We talk about everything being about Jesus. But the Bible makes it even more than that. In Him, through Him, by Him, and for Him are all things. I don't know. I, I, we say this, it becomes even a cliche, but yet in our own minds, even though we say it, we don't believe it. But truly, I can tell you today that it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. He is the center point. He is the center of the nexus. Everything that had happened prior to his first coming was to prepare the world to receive him. And everything that is happening now is to prepare the world for his second coming. Everything revolves around Christ Jesus. And as we go through this scripture today, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that it's not just about establishing a kingdom here or establishing a power there. It's about what is it going to take to bring this world to its knees so that it bows before the King of glory so that it will acknowledge what will it take. Think of some of the people you know. What will it take in their life to happen before they will put a knee on the ground and confess with their mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord of all? I don't know about you, but I've got some hard neck, harsh, hard-hearted, stiff-necked people in my life, some in my family. And it, it seems like you beat them over the head every day with the Bible and with the Word of God, and nothing penetrates. Nothing gets through. But let me tell you something. The God of heaven has a plan to bring this whole world and every living creature in it to their knees before the throne of Jesus Christ. If it won't be voluntarily, then it will be compulsory. Amen. But every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. To the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen. Oh, I pray daily that it happen for those whom I love and those whom I care about. Before, it is com before they are compelled. Before they are compelled by His appearance to acknowledge who He is. He is the center of it all. He is the center of it all. And it describes his centrality in these four statements. He is the center of how, what it will take to finish the transgression. I've been meditating on that thought today. And I tell you, nothing, maybe nothing disturbs me more than this thought. I, I, I have really examined my own heart on this. And I want you to try to understand what Daniel is, or what Gabriel is revealing to Daniel here. In the cross of Jesus Christ, 
Every sin. Let me, let me say it this way. Maybe this will make it a little easier to understand. The ultimate act of sin in human history, the ultimate act of sin in human history was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It is the epitome of transgression, of rebellion, of iniquity. We took the Son of God, the light of heaven, love's pure spirit, and we nailed him to a tree because we wanted his kingdom without him as our king. He said, now, Pastor, I wasn't there. I didn't do that. That was, that was those guys. Okay, but understand, in that one act of sin, and it was sin, you say, well, that was God's plan. Well, I'm going to talk about that for a moment. But in that one act, that hateful act, and we can think of some hateful acts, can't we? When we set our mind to some of the things happening even now, we say, how can people be so evil? How can people, how can somebody walk into a school full of innocent children with a gun and commit an act of mass murder? How can a, how can a nation rise up that has its, as its intended purpose to completely, genocidally wipe out an entire people? We've seen evils. Evil is something we hear about daily on the news. And yet, no greater act of evil in human history exists than the crucifixion of the Son of God. This is the most wicked. This is humanity at its worst. Humanity violently and, and profanely saying, we will not have this man to rule over us. We, will, we would have our own kingdom, and we don't need this God, and we don't need him. It's deicide, the death of God. And yet, in that, 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 that is the finish of the transgression. And in that one act of sin, that one act of hate, every sin is contained. Yours and mine. The end of every sin ever committed is the crucifixion of the Son of God. It is the fulfillment. It is the representative sin of all human sin. And as I meditated on that week, I tell you, I hung my head in shame that my sin was contained within that terrible act, that my rebellion, my hatefulness, and willfulness, my pride, my sinfulness led to such a thing. You say, well, Pastor, I never, meant, I never meant to do anything that would do it. But you have to understand, if you are, there, there's such a thing as accessory. In other words, if you do something, and at least there's something worse happening. You're responsible. Amen? You're responsible. If you get into a car and drive when you're under the influence of alcohol, 
You may think that's no big deal until someone crosses the road and you run them over. Your sin has led to a greater consequence. Everything we've ever done in our sinfulness and in our, and, and in our willfulness and in our pridefulness led to the cross of Christ. Yeah. It is the finish of all transgressions. It is the end of all sin. Every sin is contained within that one act of violence. Every one of us bears a responsibility. In fact, you're just trying to make me feel guilty. You know, I'm trying to make you understand that you can't point a finger. We, we, we love the more holy-than-thou arguments we like to make. We love to say that, uh, well, at least I'm not like these other people who do these things. And yet all sins ever committed end up in the same place. Amen. The small ones and the big ones. The ones that affect one person and the ones that affect entire generations. They all end up at the same place. By God's design. By God's design, he made it so that the soul that sinneth should surely die. There could only be one consequence of sin. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. The wages of sin is death. God made it very clear that he was not going to do this on a grade or on a curve kind of thing. That every sin would have contained within it. The consequence of death. And we try to avoid that death by transferring that consequence to the Son of God. What a wicked person. Who What kind of person, what kind of wickedness is this to ask an innocent person to die for our sin? This is an act of transgression. This is the end of sin, Daniel says, or Gabriel says here. To make an end of sin. Why did God set it up this way? Because this was the only way to bring sin to its knees. The only way to destroy and make an end of sin was to set it up against someone that it could not conquer. Despite all of our evil and all of our wickedness and all of our willfulness and all of our rebelliousness being brought to bear on the Son of God on Calvary's cross, he was able to take that sin unto himself and not compromise himself but maintain his integrity, rendering that sin impotent and destroying its power forever. Somebody praise God. Sin may be mightier than you. It may be mightier than me. It may be mightier than the, than the, than the richest and the most powerful person on this world. But when it came against Jesus Christ, it met one it could not conquer. Though sin did its worst to destroy him, 
He instead destroyed sin. Somebody praise God. Somebody praise God. The greatest act of wickedness was the greatest act of destroying the power of sin. Having done their worst, having done nothing that, that would have even been incomprehensible, we come to the realization that there is no sin that's greater than our God and our God's power to destroy it. If you've experienced the power of God to destroy sin in your life, you should give God praise today. Because there is nothing greater. To make an end of sin, sin had to be allowed to do its worst. There would always be the question, there would always be the argument that God was corruptible. Our argument would go something like this, and, and you have to kind of understand how evil the human mind is. Well, it's all right for God to sit up there in his holy heaven. He doesn't know what we're dealing with down here. It's all right for God to sit up there and rain down judgment. Who does God think he is? If he was here right now, he would do as I am doing. You know how, my, you know how corrupt the mind is. Who is this God of ours? He, he sits up there and he looks down at us and he calls us sinners. Let him come down here and face the things we have to face. Let him come down here. What did Job cry? Oh, that in my flesh. Oh, that I could see God. Why, well, if he had to deal with what I'm dealing with, he'd be just like me. And God said, okay, I will come down. I will face exactly what you're facing. I will deal with the world as you deal with it. I will divest myself of all my divine privilege and prerogative. I will take on the mantle of flesh, not just flesh, but the flesh of a servant. I will humble myself to the lowest of the low. I will become like one of these creatures so that you might know that I know. Come on. What are we celebrating this month? What are we celebrating? Do you understand the cosmic significance? Here is man in all of his rebellion. Here is man in all of his sin. Here is man in all of his pride and all of his glory, shaking his fist at heaven, saying, you can't judge us because you're not one of us. Notice the mention of Gabriel. Where's the next time we see Gabriel? We see Gabriel in Luke, right? Chapters 1 and chapter 2. He comes to a certain woman, a virgin, a young woman named Mary. And he said, Hail, highly favored of God. God heard the cry. What was Daniel doing? Daniel was praying and confessing the sins of his people. Gabriel was sent by God to tell him, I'm going to make an end of this sin business. We shaking our fist at God. And you can't judge us until you're one of us. What does Gabriel tell Mary? You shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Hallelujah. You begin to understand how all of prophecy finds its sum and purpose in Jesus Christ. How can he judge us if he hasn't dealt with what we deal with? And here he comes, Emmanuel, God with us, God one of us, God like us, a God that is, can, 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 can feel the pains that we feel and face the temptations that we face. And sin raises its head in triumph. Now I've got him right where I want him. He may be able to avoid me in life. He may be able to avoid me in his earthly life, but let me put him on a cross. Let him face the ultimate challenge, the ultimate trial, the ultimate temptation. Let me get him on that cross, and he will curse God and die, and just like all these other sinners will do. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, he'll cry. Daniel said, or Gabriel told Daniel, he'll make a finish of it. He'll make an end of it. And the last words we have from Jesus Christ on that cross is, it is finished. I have done it. Since power has been, has been, has been destroyed, it has taken me. Understand what it's all about. All the fury and all the rage of the nations. Bent itself against the soul of Jesus Christ. Prophetic visions tell us that all the demons and devils of hell rejoice. They came to the cross that day to celebrate their great victory. Here is the heir of the kingdom. Here is the Son of God. Here is the one we have feared for millennia. And there he is, dying on the cross. We've won. Sin is triumphant. Oh, but look at the next verse. To make a reconciliation for iniquity. We don't even understand this term in all of its completeness, but it's, a, it, it, it's an accounting term. What does an accountant do? What does a treasurer do? What does a, a comptroller do at the end of a, of a year? They reconcile the books. Right? Anybody ever had to reconcile your checkbook? Amen? You get the little, I mean, you don't get them in the mail anymore. I think they just email them to you now, right? But you get the little printout from the bank. And the bank says you spent $5 over here at Walmart. And you spent $7 over here at Subway. And you spent $200 over here at hair and makeup store. And you spent $300 over here at at uh, at the sports uh, establishment, uh, you know, all the, just tells you. Well, I tell you what. Sometimes I, when I look at that thing every month, I shake my head. You ever ask yourself where does all your money go? You ever ask yourself where all your money goes? Well, go to your go go to your website of your bank and download your statement. They'll tell you where all your money went. And I read down that statement, and I read some things on that statement, and I just shake my head. How in the world? Why in the world? What are we doing? This is insane. 
And it tells you on the other side of the balance sheet how much money came in. And for some reason in my world, there's always more on the debit side than there is on the plus side. It don't matter how much money I make, I always seem to spend more. If I make a dollar, I spend a dollar twenty-five. If I make a hundred dollars, I spend a hundred. I don't know why it goes like that. But somehow, at the end of the month, I sit down and I've got to reconcile the books. There he hung on the cross. And the ledger of our sin was unfurled. And oh, what a balance sheet it was. I can't imagine what was on yours, and I, but I, can, I know what was on mine. Here and here and here with the little with the little negative with the little minus side. Eleven years old, twelve years old, thirteen years old, just year by year by year. All of the oh, I tell you, I hung my head in shame. There was my list. Every iniquity, every sin, every willful act of disobedience. And if you don't know me, I'm a willful person. And I looked down that list and I thought, my God, how can this ever be reconciled? And so I thought, well, maybe on my, on my plus side, I did something good. Maybe I was able to balance the scales. You know, some people, they think they can balance the scales. I know I didn't do right there, but I'll, I'll do right here and we'll even it up. But I searched with magnifying glasses on the side that was supposed to be my assets, and I could not find a single good and righteous thing on my in my favor. As a matter of fact, under the line that says your righteousness was simply one little one little comment under my righteousness said filthy rags, and I thought. I'm in trouble. I owe all of this debt, and I got nothing. But then I went all the way to the bottom of the list, and I saw one little entry, and it said, the blood of Jesus Christ. And I looked down, and not only were all my debts reconciled, but there was a deposit of everlasting righteousness. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Yes. Hallelujah. Praise the living. Say, Pastor, you see all of that in this one verse? It's right there in front of you. He went to that cross to reconcile our iniquity. He took the full force of sin upon himself. And not only did he waste its effort against him, but he was able to turn the tide back on sin itself. So that where once there was sin in my heart, now there is an everlasting righteousness. Hallelujah. 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 For what he deposited in me wasn't simply a temporary, you know, sometimes they put something in there to hold the place. It wasn't something like that. What they put there in me was enough not only to wipe out every debt I owed, but every debt I will ever owe for the rest of my existence. 
and everlasting righteousness. A righteousness beyond the years. I will never live long enough to use up the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Oh, what an honor, what a privilege. And where I once was hanging my head in shame, considering how my sin had been rolled into that terrible, violent act of transgression where we did the most evil thing humanity has ever done. You don't hear people talk about that much today. Yes, we celebrate the cross. We celebrate it because of what came from it. But the cross itself was the most evil act. It was an evil act. With great wickedness, men took the Son of God and slew him. And yet... Gabriel's telling Daniel, it's going to be all right. Because in that hateful and willful act of sin, the Messiah is going to set the balance in favor of the people of God. Let me deal with one last statement he makes. It says to anoint the most holy. Remember what Daniel was praying for. What did Daniel say he was praying for? I was interceding on behalf of the holy mountain of my God. What was Daniel's great grief? Not just that his people had been put into exile. Yes, that was part of his grief. But his great grief was that the house of his God had been desecrated and destroyed. Remember the story. Here, just a couple of chapters earlier, when I referenced it last week, the handwriting on the wall. Why did the handwriting of the wall appear? When did it appear? When the king of Babylon brought the treasures and the utensils and the placements from the house of God in Jerusalem and set them out in a banquet to honor his false gods. The house of God in Jerusalem had been plundered and then destroyed. And all of its holy things had been brought into Babylon and placed in the temples and in the service of false gods. Think that through for a moment. It's a minor comparison. It doesn't even do justice. But just think of what would happen if for some reason this building were to be turned into a satanic temple. If you drove by here one day and saw the mark of the beast over the entrance and the and knew that unholy things were being done in this place where we once worshiped God. Would it grieve your heart? Would it grieve your spirit? Now consider a thousand times more. That's what's on Daniel's heart. My house is irrelevant, but the house of my God has been destroyed, and its its holy things have been used for unholy purposes, and its holy priests have been sent off into slavery, and its holy people have been absorbed into foreign cultures. And he's confessing before God, God, when when will you restore your temple? And so Gabriel gives him one final promise. He says, after I've destroyed sin's power, and after I've deposited an righteousness in my people. I will bring them together and anoint a new holy place. I'll say, oh, you're talking about the next temple. No, no, no. Take it for 
Jesus had a chance to go and sanctify the temple in Jerusalem. He didn't do that. What did he do? He said, this temple is my body. Paul would take that and say, you and I are the body of Christ, and therefore we are the temple of God. He said, I will anoint a new dwelling place for the most holy God. I will anoint and prepare a place where God will come and never leave. Remember what Ezekiel saw when he was taken to the temple before it was destroyed. He saw the glory of his God come to the threshold and then move out to the east, saying this place has become so contaminated, I can't even dwell here anymore. And here's Daniel weeping before God, saying, God, your place is desolate. The things dedicated to you have been corrupted into the service of false gods. What was once holy unto the Lord is now being used for idol worship. When will you prepare another place? And he said, when Messiah comes, he will anoint a new dwelling place for the Most High God. No longer will it be a building made with hands. But he will come and dwell in the hearts and the minds and in the midst of his people. I'm here to tell you today, church, whatever else we draw from prophecy, let us call this. All of it, the good and the bad, is to prepare you and I to be the kingdom of God in this world and any world to come, to be the dwelling place by Him to have access into the most holy place. The veil is torn. The thing that kept us out was our sin, and our sin has been destroyed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now we are empowered to come into the very presence of the most holy God under the anointing of the anointed Messiah of God. All of our prophetic studies these days seem to be obsessed with details about this and that and the other. And yet we seem to miss the most glorious detail of them all. The most wonderful Prophetic fulfillment is not something that's going to happen next week, next year, or in the next millennium. It's something that happened 2,000 years ago. Their prophecy was fulfilled. There it was summed up. There it was made complete. And everything else is just a working out of that fulfillment and completion. We don't have to worry about tomorrow. We don't have to worry about what we're going to face next week or in 2022 and beyond. Not because of tomorrow, but because of yesterday when the Son of God took upon Himself the sins of the world. Let that be your prophecy. Let that be your vision. Let that be the vision of His people and of His church. Because of the fulfillment of one prophecy, We can rest in comfort and faith, knowing that all else will happen as it should. Had Christ not come, we'd still have to worry. We'd have to worry about sin. We'd have to worry about transgressions. 
We'd have to worry about how can we ever be righteous before God. Because when this world is judged, it will be judged in righteousness. The only thing that will matter when you stand before the judgment seat is the righteousness that is in you. We can get every other detail right. We can figure out every other prophecy. We can name names and name times and put it all in order. You can buy a thousand books that will tell you how it's all going to happen. But I'm telling you, don't go don't look forward. Look back. Because he lives. Because he rose from the dead. Because his righteousness dwells in us. I know that come Antichrist, come beast, come kingdom of darkness, come pit of hell itself being opened. I know that I rest in the safe and sure hands of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And in him, I have victory. In him, I will win. In him, I shall overcome because, because of Jesus Christ. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 7.45 p.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area, We would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.